Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. You know, one of the challenges as pastors is uh, we're in this time of COVID where a lot of churches have lost some finances and they have, you know, they've lost some audience. And, and we have more views than ever before on, on digital, but views are just a vanity metric. They don't actually mean anything. You can view for three seconds and it counts as a view. Um, and so we, we're all about that. And then we're concerned about in the middle of this uh, loss that creating another controversy, creating a talking about a topic that is uh, not agreed upon would be a hard thing. But that's what leaders do. You're listening to the words of Scott Rideout, president of the Converge Movement of Churches. We'll tap into the wisdom of Scott as he talks about what effects the pandemic and the recent racial uprisings are having on the nation's pastors. Welcome to the program, Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Life Support is a co-production of Five Stone Media and Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. I'm Five Stone Media's Executive Director, Steve Johnson, and our host is Paul Johnson, the lead pastor of Ridgewood Church and a trauma survivor himself, first experiencing the death of his wife and then the tragic homicide of his 21-year-old son. So this really is a conversation about trauma. This is the second of two parts with Scott Rideout, and here to begin the conversation is Pastor Paul. Hey, this is Life Support, and it's so good to have you with us. This is a show where we talk about difficult topics because we want you to find a deeper relationship with Christ and know that he's with you in whatever you might be experiencing. Really excited to be joined this week by Scott Rideout, who is the president of the Converge Movement of Churches. Some of you may remember it as the Baptist General Conference, those of you who have been around here in Minneapolis for a while. But Converge is a... Is a a, a movement that really seeks to plant churches and multiply, and Scott's been a really big part of that. So, Scott, thank you so much for being here. Um, last time we talked a lot about pastors and how we can get through this time as we work through this pandemic. But now added on to that, we have this new racial instability. So we've gone from pandemic, trying to open up churches, that was our whole focus, and now all of a sudden we have George Floyd and this horrific death. And here in Minneapolis, of course, it's been like a, a tinderbox, and um, it's all anybody's talking about. So how do pastors wade into this? Because all of us, at least I hope most of us, want equality. We want reconciliation. We know that's what God wants. But the culture is all over the place on this. So where does a pastor start? Well, first of all, it's great to be with you uh, this week again. Thank you for the opportunity. And, and you're right, in the middle of a COVID pandemic, um, first of all, emotions are on the surface. Uh, we're tired of being alone. We're tired of being isolated. And, uh, and then on top of this, we see this video, this nine-minute video of a man kneeling his knee on, a, on another man's neck. And... And we, we see the, the death of George Floyd. And it's heartbreaking. It's disturbing. It's frustrating. But, and I know for those of us in the white evangelical church, uh, we have these episodic moments 
where people of color uh, come and raise their fists and say this is this is wrong. And we could go through history, even the last five years of, of Ferguson, of uh, Charleston, of Charlotte, of Baltimore, uh, New York City, Philando Castile over there in St. Paul, uh, 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 Ahmaud Arbery just uh, a little while ago, and, and now this. And uh, what's interesting about this is this is the first time uh, with George Floyd where the word systemic uh, has been allowed, uh, where people are saying, you know, this might just be a systemic issue and not just an episodic, an episode uh, of, of, of uh, injustice. And I, I'm grateful for that because of the journey God has had me on over, over time. So we started a biblical diversity department a couple of years ago. Uh, Dr. Harold Lewis is our vice president in that area because our, our churches did a survey uh, and about 98% of them said, we need to learn about this. We need to have this discussion. And so I feel like inside of Converge, uh, this has been an ongoing discussion, at least for a few years. And, and, now, it's, and now it's growing and now there's an opportunity. In fact, our, Dr. Lewis uh, was invited to attend George Floyd's funeral. And so he uh, has that privilege of being there and celebrating this man's life and, and really sensing the pulse of, of, the, of the community there. And so I'm grateful for, uh, for, for that. He taught me a paradigm a few years ago about how to relate to people. And then uh, I made my own paradigm of about how pastors should actually help their churches move forward. So his paradigm is this personally, uh, your advice is when you have this kind of injustice happening, uh, you have to first listen. Uh, we are very, very good at putting out our opinions. Uh, thank you, Facebook. Thank you, Twitter. Thank you, TikTok these days. Thank you for so many. We're, we're very good at putting out our opinions. But this is the time to listen. Scripture says, uh, be, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Uh, and so we need to take that in mind and just listen to what these people who may not look like us or think like us or have the same experience we have, let's just listen. I mean, my best advice for a pastor is find a person, an African-American in this case, and say, okay, what is it like for you? What is different about you? Let's just take a posture of, of listening and second, learning. Uh, what does it mean to, you know, and, and just, just decide, I'm gonna be a student. I'm not gonna be a judge. I'm, I'm not gonna be opinionated. I'm gonna put those things away and say, okay, could it possibly be that my neighbor has a different experience in my community than I do? And just, and just learn from them. And what you'll find is that godly, wise, respectable leaders all seem to have the same experience, regardless of how much income they make or how much, uh, how much influence they have. They have the same experience as someone who may be uh, in a part of Minneapolis or that is not as reputable. They're having some of the same experiences. So we listen. Third, we have to lament. The, the biggest, the, the, so it's let's, let's listen, learn, lament. The, the biggest challenge I'm hearing from the African-American church is that the, the non-African-American church, uh, they'll, they'll speak about it, but they, they won't allow it to, to get personal. They, they won't actually allow the emotions to affect their hearts. And we should be grieving uh, over not just what happened um, with, with um, George Floyd or Philando Castile, 
we should be grieving over the things we hear when we're, when we're listening over the experience of many uh, African-American communities around the country for, for decades and in, in centuries, if you're honest. And just, we need to grieve over that. Um, scripture says, grieve with those who grieve and mourn with those who mourn. And we have been afraid of doing that. And then finally, uh, once you've listened and learned and lamented, now it's time to lead. Now it's to take this personal experience you have and lead your congregations uh, to, a, to a platform, a way, of, uh, a way of responding, a way of thinking, a way of entering into the pain of others. That's what Christians do. Uh, that's what compassion is. We enter into their pain. And we not just enter into it, but we find solutions for it and we step into the gap in those things. That's the first paradigm. So I'll stop there, but there's a, there's a paradigm for the church as well. No, that's, that's really good. I think that there's also, as part of that leadership, we need, we need pastors who have courage to, to really step in and, and, and not to arrogantly try to steer people toward one side or the other, but to see what does the Bible really say about this? What is God's heart in this? And not be afraid to confront this issue. And here's what I think is happening in churches, at least here in the wealthy suburbs of Minneapolis, is that it feels like people are afraid to do what you just said because they're giving up ground or America may slip away from them as they know it. Problem is, for the population you just talked about, America as we know it isn't working and the question then becomes, biblically, what are the people of God supposed to do? Certainly, we're supposed to do something. We've been given the, the role of reconcilers. That's what Jesus came to do. And so courage is important right now. And I think, we're, I think people are hungry yeah. for that. You know, one of the challenges as pastors is uh, we're in this time of COVID where a lot of churches have lost some finances and they have, you know, they've lost some audience, and, and we have more views than ever before on, on digital, but views are just a vanity metric. They don't actually mean anything. You can view for three seconds and it counts as a view. Um, and so we, we're all about that. And then we're concerned about, in the middle of this uh, loss, that creating another controversy, creating a talking about a topic that is uh, not agreed upon would be a hard thing. But that's what leaders do. Uh, leaders talk about the difficult things. They, uh, we've got to be faithful to Scripture. We've got to be faithful to the call of, of, of God. And my office right now, I'm, I'm writing three articles. Uh, one is the Old Testament basis for bib biblical justice. One is the New Testament basis for biblical justice. And one is, therefore, what are we supposed to do with those things? What does it look like to, to be the church in our century? Um, I just want to remind us that, that it, in the Bible, it was the Pharisees that, that when they were talking about Jesus, they were concerned about losing their nation and their people. Um, and they were concerned about preserving their power. This is why Jesus is crucified. Um, now, that turned out really good, by the way, for all of us. Um, but I just want to remind us, this is not our society. These are not our communities. These belong to God. This is a stewardship issue, not an ownership issue. See, owners ask this question, what do I want to do with my whatever? But we're stewards. Steward, stewards ask a different question. They ask, what does the owner want me to do on his behalf? And so we've got to make sure that our posture is one of, of stewardship, one of, uh, of being a, a trusted manager and not, not of owning, because the power was never ours to begin with. 
the, we, we, it was always to be used for good, for the glory of God, for the advancement of the gospel. And so we've got to be careful about protecting our lifestyle, protecting our way, protecting our comforts. That's all anti-Christian thinking. Uh, it's not about our comfort. It's about the gospel of Jesus. It's about the advancement of, of, of the message of Christ, about making disciples, not just of one nation, not just of one ethne, but of all ethne. We've been called to make disciples of the entire earth. And the Twin Cities, there are so many people groups in that community uh, that, that yet need a gospel presence in them. And in order to, to bridge the gap of culture, we've got to figure out how to come together around things we all agree, like the, like the value of human life, uh, the imago Dei, that we're all made in the image of God, about the, the, the purpose in the scripture, about the, the, the purpose of power, it's always to be used for good, for the advancement of the gospel, for the reaching of the nations, and not just for the comfort of the church to sit, you know, to, for us to sit in our pews and just enjoy ourselves. We've got to figure out a different way of approaching this this season. You kind of got me going, Paul. So I, I, uh, but it's it's really important to me that we we think differently. Now we're not protecting, we're proclaiming. We're not cursing the darkness. We're proclaiming the light. We've got to figure out how to how to move into that posture of, of being on the offense, of helping people meet, know, and follow Jesus. Yeah, no, that's really good. Scott Rideout is our guest. He's the president of Converge, and it's so good to have him here talking a little bit today about working through this racial uh, racial situation we have, the unrest, the, the injustices as pastors. And Scott, as I look at this, you know, I fear the church is going to be torn apart by this. Not only is society on the edge right now, but the church is too, because the church is sometimes a reflection of what's happening in society. And the last thing anybody wants to see is to have Afri- African-American churches go over here and, and white churches go over here and stop talking to each other. But I see that as a real danger. And that's why I, I appreciate what you're saying. And I appreciate you know men like John Piper and others who have waited into this for years and have called for this kind of equity. But if we don't step out and lead, we are going to separate the church. And, and that, that would be awful. That would be a terrible thing. It, it would be. You know, I was talking five years ago when I became president of Converge. Uh, in my first month, uh, the problems of Ferguson, Missouri happened. And as a, as a pastor from Arizona, just, you know, in Arizona, uh, it is only 2% African-American. And, uh, and so, as far as diversity goes, it was Latinos and Anglos, and that was pretty much it. And uh, now, I did grow up in Virginia and lived in South Carolina for five years, but I've been away from that for 22 years. And so, I honestly did not know what to do about Ferguson. So, I called three of our converged pastors that are African-American and two of our pastors that read multi-ethnic congregations and said, guys, listen, I just got to be honest. I have no idea what to say, no idea what to do. Uh, I had him on a Zoom call. I said, would you guys, and it was Thanksgiving weekend, I said, would you guys be willing to just have a conversation in front of me for an hour and just talk to each other about what you're planning to do? Let me learn from you. So I sat back and I just watched these, these five phenomenal leaders who understood the times, who understood the, the issues. I watched them interact and I just, I just took notes the entire time. I learned so much in that hour that I was able to give uh, at least a, a reasonable response that 
actually began this movement in Converge of us saying, we need to, this is a bigger issue. And God gave us the grace of that, but I just need to sit back and, and, and do that. I, you know, our, our, the, the church doesn't belong to us. Uh, and here's what I would tell you, Paul, is that I know we're concerned about people leaving, uh, but every church has people leave. The job of leadership is to help discern who leaves and who stays. Uh, and those who stay need to be on, they need to be on the agenda of God. They need to be uh, scripturally astute. They need to be culturally astute. They need to be make sure that they are, are moving forward in the, in the purposes of God. And I, you know, I, I'm okay when people doctrinally disagree with me or philosophically disagree with me or methodologically disagree with me in my leadership. I'm okay with them going. Um, it, it's okay. And I know that's a hard thing to say, especially if you're in a small town and there, you know, there's just few, so few churches. But our job isn't to placate our community. Our job is to advance the gospel in ways that honor God. And so it's, it's a tough place to be. And God will give you the wisdom and the courage you need to do, the right, to do the right things. We were talking a little bit earlier, too, about how Paul has instructed Christians to live um, during times like this. And, of course, his context was Nero and some of the extreme difficulties that believers were going through then. And I talk a lot here at our church at Ridgewood about living dignified lives and what that looks like to nonbelievers and shining a light of calm, shining a light of love and peace and knowing that our future is secure. We want others to enjoy that same future. But it's hard to do because as a pastor, you have opinions too. You have, you, you know, you don't want to ignore politics. You've got to know what's going on. And But here's what I've learned, Scott, is bite your tongue, Paul. Just listen and don't weigh into places where you don't belong. Once you've figured out what the Bible, you think the Bible says, tell your people. But when it comes to the public discussion, sometimes it's best just to be quiet. Because the last thing we want are congregants running around who are angry, frustrated, who have lost their peace, and who are reflecting poorly on the world. This is an unbelievable time right now to reach the world for Christ. Unbelievable. We'll never have an opening in our lifetime like we have right now, in my opinion. Pandemic, racial uh, unrest. It's all right there for us. Yeah, no, no question about it. You know, I, I think back to the verse I, I said the first half of it, uh, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Uh, but the second half of the verse says, uh, for the anger of man does not result in the righteous life God desires. Uh, people forgive foolish much more quickly than they forgive angry. Uh, we can say foolish things. We can be ignorant about things. But if we're angry about things, that sets up a wall between, between us. Now, there's a righteous anger, but righteous anger isn't about protecting my rights. It's always about my responsibilities to protect others. And so there is a righteous anger that, that I love in this season. People are saying, this is not right, and someone needs to do something. But now the question is, what do I do? Um, even if you talk to those who are, who are from the African-American community these days, who are part of these peaceful protests, they will tell you uh, this anger, this uh, burning of buildings, that's, that's not us. Uh, we're, we're, we're trying to figure out uh, how to actually move our, our communities forward. I was talking to some pastors in the area of the Cups grocery store. Uh, one of them was talking about the library that was burned down. And he, just, he, he said, do you really think that was us? Do you really think what took us 20 years to build? that has helped our children so much? Do you really think that our, our thought is, let's just burn down the thing we've been trying to build for 20 years. Do you think that was us burning down these, these businesses that are owned by African-American 
you know, men who've worked their entire life to build up an income for their for their family and a, a, a way of helping their community. Do you really think we burn those things down? That makes no sense whatsoever. It's not them. Um, so if I could just tell you, one of the paradigms I'm telling churches, how do I lead my church in this moment? Uh, I, I'm a kind of a Baptist preacher, so I've got four, five P's for you. Um, and it's, it's a paradigm, so that's a six P. But the first is, let's have a ministry of prayer. Uh, let's pray over this. Let's grieve over it. Let's pray for those involved. Let's pray for their wisdom. Let's pray for calm. Uh, you know, lead your congregation in prayer. This is wrong. It is hard. It is difficult. We can all agree to that. So we can ask God for wisdom. We can ask God to intervene. We can pray about a whole lot of things. Obviously, we pray for the Floyd family and the loss of of their you know of their of their son, of their father, um, of their husband. Uh, we can pray for those things. Second is a ministry of presence. Uh, if you've ever done a funeral or ever been at a funeral, you realize that people have no idea what to say to someone who's lost a loved one. But just by being there, there's a ministry happening. And, and right now in the African American community, we as mostly probably white evangelicals listening to this podcast, we can have a ministry of presence. So I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I know that with COVID is going on, I have a friend who's in, who's at uh, in Melbourne, Florida. He's an African American pastor. He uh, has two kids. He and his wife are amazing, and I can't go see him, but I texted him and I said, "Hey, man, I, I just want to tell you, I, I'm grieving over what happened in Minneapolis, and I, I can't imagine you as a father having a conversation with your eight-year-old son and your six-year-old son about what happened." And I just want to say, I, I'll never know that feeling. I'll never understand it. I'll never experience it. But I just want to say, I love you. I'm for you. And if I can help in any way, just let me know. And within 15 minutes, he wrote me back. He said, that was the, mo the biggest blessing I've had in my week. Just to know that you were there with me. You're with, and I'm, I'm confident. By the way, he named his church Victory. I, I wrote in the note, I know you're not playing the victim here because you, na you named your church Victory. And he just went right to, and Christ is our victory, and he will overcome, and we're going to trust him. And, you know, so, but that's a ministry of, of presence. Third is, a, is personal growth. Is What's a, a track for personal growth? How am I going to grow in this? So I started reading uh, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, which talks to the history of America to give me a better perspective. Uh, I've read uh, Oneness Embraced by Tony Evans. I've read several other books uh, that help me understand this uh, thing. I'm also reading scripture, so I took my entire leadership team through, let's just talk about where do we see biblical diversity in the Bible? And so we, we found 12 different themes in the Old Testament, we found 15 different themes in the New Testament, uh, and then we talked about what, what action does the Bible take? And so I'm actually writing articles on those things. And so I'm going through a personal growth, uh, and I'm taking my team through that growth about what does it say and, and learning from that. By the way, we had, we had an African-American leader on the call with us because they have been having this conversation a lot longer than we have. And so they're, they're able to, to see things we don't see. And it's just wonderful to have him teach us about these things. The fourth P is participation. You know, what am I supposed to do? Is it protest? Uh, is it Facebook, uh, you know, saying this is wrong? What, what, what does it look like? What's my participation in good? Uh, I was talking to a pastor in Minneapolis last week who went to one of the sites that was burned down and the glass broken. But by the time he got there, it was all cleaned up because the church had shown up already and that they were participating in good. 
And, uh, you know, I see that all over Minneapolis. I'm seeing it in other areas now as well as they've had buildings burn and glass broken and things like that. But um, we can love our communities. And by the way, participation in good is probably the best witness uh, for the community who's not sure about the church these days, that we go out and clean up after these things, that we, we bless and don't curse. We just choose to bless our community. That's just the wisest thing that, that we can do. And then finally, the final P is policy. And this is where it gets the hardest part because, you know, if, if we're going to actually create change, then the policy, those in power, the, the, the policy, the power has to change. And so this is the one where most people are not sure what to do. And there's lots of petitions out there and there's lots of ideas out there. And I actually had some petitions I saw that I was asked to sign. And, and I agreed with the, the why and I agreed with the what to do, but I didn't agree with the how. And so I couldn't sign the petition. And, you know, because it was all spelled out and, you know, and I, but I, I want to do something. So I, I'm, I'm looking at different groups like the, uh, the AND campaign and my local community and other places just to find out, to reach out to government, just say, how can I help you? Uh, what, what's going on? Uh, to reach out to the African-American church community and say, what, what are the things that, that you guys are asking people to do? Just learning from them and in order to help the community improve through policy. And so those five Ps, uh, prayer and presence, personal growth, participation and policy are the are the avenue that we can continue consider going on when it comes to these these times that's really why scott it's so good of you to drop by we loved having you here with us awesome scott rideout is the president of converge thanks scott great to see you my privilege thank you so much all right you've been listening to life support thanks again for being here and to all of our partners faith radio five stone media and ridgewood church we'll catch you next time right here on life support Thanks for listening to this Life Support Podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.